Well, what is going on, everybody? Hope that you are doing well. We are in part two of our series entitled Resilient, and it is simply the story of Joseph out of the book of Genesis. Last week, we talked about getting out of our humanity and being rooted in the promises of God, that we, where we are rooted will directly affect how we respond, that if we are rooted in our own selves and our own brokenness, we will respond in broken ways. But if we are rooted in Jesus, we will respond like Jesus will or would respond. And so This week, we're going to talk through two more chapters of Genesis, chapters 40 and 41. And what we're going to look at this week is this singular part of Joseph's story that takes him from one place to another, like so many other parts of his story. Last week, we ended with Joseph being put in prison, but once again, finding favor with the person in charge. Joseph, with the favor of the prison warden, was put in charge over all the other prisoners. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. And it says this, Sometime later, the cupbearer and baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody... For some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in the custody of him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams." This is the one thing I want to pull out of chapter 40, and it it speaks to the character of Joseph. He took interest in the troubles of others. He took interest in the troubles of others. I think it could be understandable for Joseph at this point to be closed off and selfish. God had given him favor, but but people had betrayed and and hurt him time and time again. His brothers, Potiphar's wife, like all these different people had betrayed him. But instead of being bitter about that, instead of being, being bitter towards them or towards people, he truly cared about what these two men were going through. So I think it begs a question that we have to ask ourselves. Like No matter what I go through, can I, can I, can I keep my compassion? Can I hold on to my compassion? If we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we have to figure out how we can avoid bitterness, not only towards people, but, but be people who avoid bitterness in the midst of situations that, oh, I've been here before and you're probably like that person or whatever it may be, that we would be people who hold on to our compassion towards others, that we say, no matter what I've been through, I've been called to love people extraordinarily, that Jesus has called me to be his hands and feet, and I cannot do that absent love. So I have to be somebody who holds on to my compassion, and I take interest in the troubles of others, and I help people walk it out. These, these men tell Joseph their dreams, and he interprets them both. He says that one would be restored to his position and the other one's like, that's a great interpretation. What does mine mean? He says, unfortunately, that means that you're going to be executed and they both come true. The cupbearer is restored to his position, but the, but the baker is impaled. And before they leave, before they go before Pharaoh, Joseph says this phrase, don't forget me. Don't forget me. But he is forgotten. The cupbearer, even though he is restored to his position, forgets about Joseph. And then two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams. And we'll pick up in Genesis chapter 41, verse 8. And it simply says this, In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. So this is the next point. Where we look for answers matters. 
where we look for answers matters. Every one of us is going to come into situations where we're looking for answers. It could be an actual dream or something else. Life, life is complicated. We, we're going to look for answers. But when we don't have close relationship with Jesus, we will look to culture, we'll look to self-help, we'll look at unhealthy people to give us direction instead of looking to Jesus first. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is why it's absolutely essential to surround ourselves with people who will point us towards Jesus in his answers. Now, I'm not saying that, that people who don't follow Jesus have nothing to offer. That would be incredibly naive. But what I am saying is that Jesus needs to be our primary focus, that as we come into situations where we have questions, where we're looking for answers, things are complicated, relationships are complicated, work's complicated, school's complicated, like whatever it may be, that we would be people say, I'm going to look at Jesus first. I'm going to look at people who are going to point me to Jesus second. And then if there are still answers to be had, if there's still questions that I have, then then I'll, I'll use the the wisdom of culture or whatever it may be. And and I, I will integrate that into the answers that I'm looking for. But answers out, absent of Jesus, answers that are outside of the will of Jesus are not the right answers. So we need to look at Jesus first and then let everything else fall into place. Where we look for answers matters. Scripture goes on to say in verses 9 through 13, it says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned us in uh, the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with a servant of the captain of the guard. He told him, We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And all the things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So a question that we would have, are we willing to identify our shortcomings? I love that even the cupbearer in the story has something to teach us. In all reality, the cupbearer could have remembered Joseph and, and just kept kept quiet. Nobody would have ever known that, that he forgot to tell Pharaoh about this young Hebrew man that is sitting in prison. Pharaoh wouldn't have known. Joseph wouldn't have known. He was stuck in prison. He would, we wouldn't have known at all. What's amazing is that the cupbearer's willingness to identify his mistake leads to incredible things for not just Joseph, but for the kingdom of Egypt. That everything hinges on this cupbearer being willing to identify his shortcomings. There's, there's so many times in, in my relationships where, where I want to dig in and defend myself instead of in, uh, admitting my wrongs and identifying where I'm coming up short. And I think that we have to be people who are willing to own our mistakes, own our mistakes to God and repent of those things, but also own our mistakes to the people around us because nothing good comes from us pretending like we don't come up short. We all know we're imperfect. It's only when we identify where we're coming up short that we can actually grow. And we need people around us who are going to help us identify our shortcomings and say, hey, you're doing amazing, but here's some areas that you need to work on. And we get to do that in the lives of other people. And then we also have to be willing to, even without the prompting of other people say, ah, I messed up in that, or I mess up in that regularly, or I need to be better in this area of my life, whether it would be vocationally, relationally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, that we would be people who identify our shortcomings. Are we people who bury our imperfections, or are we willing to bring them into the light and let Jesus work on them? I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who, who brings my shortcomings to the light and says, Jesus, hey, like I need help here. Please work on me. And I know that that's not going to be comfortable. None of us really want to do that. We would rather bury things and just let life go. But if we want to become the people that God has asked us to be, who is, he has called us to be, we have to be people who are willing to to identify our shortcomings and our imperfections. The scripture goes on to say in verses 14 through 16, 
It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer that he desires. The next point is this, holy awareness. Joseph had been blessed with this incredible ability to interpret dreams. And in this massive moment of opportunity, he's standing in front of the ruler of the known world. It would have been very easy for him to say, like, yes, I can interpret dreams. Look at me. But instead, Joseph casts all the attention on God. He says, I can't do it. This has nothing to do with me, but this has everything to do with the God that I serve. I cannot do it, but he can. And this simple phrase that Joseph utters highlights that humility is a huge part of his character. But here's what's interesting. It wasn't always like that. Remember last week, him telling his own dreams that he had to his brothers. These dreams that indicated that they would someday bow down to him. That wasn't humility. That was pride. But that fact highlights a couple different things. Number one, humility is absolutely necessary if we are going to lead people towards Jesus. Nobody wants to follow someone who is arrogant, self-centered, or self-serving. What people want is somebody who is humble, who is willing to admit that their imperfections, but still love and lead through them. And that's, if we're being honest with ourselves, what we're looking for too. We're not looking necessarily for just confident leaders. We're looking for humble leaders who are confident because they have had the humility to say, Jesus is the reason that I am doing the things that I'm doing today. This has nothing to do with my own abilities. The second thing is that there is room to grow. And it's so important that we understand that we have to allow ourselves room to grow, that we are not perfect. We never will be, but we can be better tomorrow than we are today and on and on and on. Joseph used his life experience and his hurts and his struggles and the betrayal in his life to no longer be the boy who stood before his brothers, but to become the man who stood before Pharaoh. We have to understand that the boy who stood before his brothers was not the same human being that stood before Pharaoh. Yes, physically, same person, same same, same embodiment, right? But so many things had changed in his life over, over a decade of experience and, and heartbreak and success and so many different things that he grew. He allowed himself room to grow and became hu- humble in his own life. You see, you and I get the opportunity not to stay stuck in who we were, but we get to be excited about who God is pushing us forward to be. Holy awareness, is it's dedicated awareness towards Jesus and what he does for us. Last week, we talked about Jesus not only being with us, but for us. That we would be people who understand that God is working in us. He's, he's cultivating things. He is helping us grow in areas that we need to grow. There, there's always this really interesting moment after like a award ceremony or a sporting event and somebody who wins gets interviewed and they said, first of all, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ or all to all God be the glory. And, and who knows? Sometimes I think that it's, that it's fake and it's just this thing that people say. And sometimes I think it, it could be an honest posture that they have, but no matter what, I think that that idea of having a holy awareness that all glory be to God. And, and first and foremost, we need to be dedicated to what Jesus is asking of us should be something that we we honestly posture ourselves and that we would camp in that on a regular basis. That as we enter into situations, relationships, vocations, whatever it is, that we would say, first and foremost, Jesus. 
Jesus out in front, everything else comes after that, that we would have a holy awareness, a dedicated awareness, a consecrated awareness to what Jesus is asking for us in all situations, that if we could do that, we would find ourselves in really incredible places. So then Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream, and, and it has to do with these seven healthy cows and these seven unhealthy cows come and consume them. And there's seven healthy bundles of wheat. And then the east winds kill the seven bundles of wheat, like all these, the, these things. And it's really confusing. But Joseph interprets the dream because of God. And he says, this is what's going to happen. There is going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine in all the land. And that God gave you two dreams because it is firmly decided and it is to be done soon. There's an urgency in this. This is firmly decided, and it's going to be soon. Genesis 41, 33 through 40, Joseph goes on to say this. He says, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the head of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by that famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So, Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Only in respect to the throne will I be greater than you. The next one is this, one in whom is the spirit of God. I think we miss the weight of this statement. An Egyptian pharaoh is recognizing the God of the Hebrew people. Joseph's faith in God leads Pharaoh to have faith in God. That the Pharaoh, who's a part of a culture that worships so many different gods, is saying, because the spirit of God is on you, there's no one as discerning as you. There's no one as wise as you. This is just a, a double down of a point that we made last week, but we want people to trust us with their stuff because the spirit of God is upon us. And are people going to say like, well, because the spirit of God is upon you, I trust you. No, it's not going to be that formal, but they're going to trust us because God is cultivating something in us that is trustworthy. And if we can prove to people that we are moving in the will of God, that, that Jesus is moving and, and calling us to love and calling us to action and calling us to compassion and all of those different things, people are going to trust us because there is the spirit of God upon us. The next point would be this is prison to position. Joseph went from favorite son to slave, slave to head housekeeper, housekeeper to prisoner and from prisoner to position. That position being the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery and 30 when he was appointed by Pharaoh. 13 years, 13 years of heartbreak, 13 years of success, but 13 years of pain and agony and questioning and all these different things. And I think that it's important that we understand that God is calling us to something and it could happen tonight. It could happen in the blink of an eye or it could take decades. Joseph didn't know if he was ever going to be in the company of Pharaoh. After two years of the cupbearer being gone, when he said, don't forget me, I'm sure that he was like, yeah, the Pharaoh or, or the cupbearer probably forgot me and did not say anything to Pharaoh about me, or he did, and he didn't have any interest in sending for me. But he still stayed ready. He still stayed in close proximity to God and was prayerful and worked on his character so that if the moment did come where God wanted to fulfill the calling, that he would be ready. Are we 
Are we people who are ready? Are we in close proximity to Jesus? Are we working on ourselves? So when that person comes and asks us a question or, or that situation presents itself, are we ready? Are we in close proximity so that we can go from one position to the position that God is asking us to go to? And it might happen in a moment, but it might take a long time. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It just matters that God wants to do it with us and in us. Genesis 41, 50 through 52 goes on to say this. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The next point is that our troubles do not get to control us. As we will see through the rest of the story, Joseph doesn't actually forget his family, but the weight of what happened with his brothers at home is no longer a burden to be carried. All of us have made mistakes or, or had things happen to us, been betrayed, whatever it may be, that we wish we could forget. And I'm not saying that Jesus couldn't do something supernatural and erase them from our memory, but I do believe that God wants to leverage those things for our benefit. I think he wants to take them off of our back as a burden and put them in our hands in as, as a tool to use for the benefit of ourselves and other people. We just have to be willing to step into the process because when we do step into the process, and this is the last point, is that we can be fruitful in the land of our suffering. Fruitful in the land of our suffering. It might be physical proximity to where we where it's been the hardest. We might be in, in a physical location where suffering has occurred, but we can use that situation for our benefit and the benefit of the people around us. Or it might be a situation that is similar to something that was really hard in our lives. We have to understand that Jesus wants us to use the hardest parts of our lives to till the soil where, where most fruit is going to come from. Our biggest mistakes, our biggest pains, our, our biggest betrayals, the things that have happened to us and the things that we have done to other people, all those things that we have, have learned will lead to life change for us and for other people. See, Joseph went through the ringer he experienced so much hills and valleys and all those things. And, and we're going to see over the next few weeks that there's still lessons to be learned. And, and he gets to put the lessons he learned into practice, that there would be life change, not only in his life, but in, in life for other people. And, and it led to abundant life for him. He, he became second in command of all of Jesus, Jesus and all of Jesus in all of Egypt. But what we have to understand is that by Joseph becoming the second most powerful person in all of Egypt, he saved the lives of an uncountable amount of people, not just the Egyptian culture, but his own Jewish culture. All of these people were saved because of his willingness to lean into God, his willingness to interpret Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh then appointing him, him understanding what God was asking for them to do, collecting abundance and having food, physical food for people when the famine hit. This is so important that we understand the hardest things in Joseph's life led to the deliverance of so many people. And the hardest things in our life can do the exact same thing. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the College Age Movement podcast. Next week, we have a night of worship. So if you are in Billings, please come hang out with us 7 o'clock on Tuesday night. It's going to be a fantastic night of glorifying God and hanging out and being in community. It's going to be really good. That means that we will not have a podcast next week, but we will be back the following week with part three of this series, Resilient.